0: Anyway, anyone can you remember, I shouldn't ask this publicly, the series that we've been doing. You remember the name of the series at least? There we go. God of the underdogs. Right. We've been doing God of the Underdogs. Well, I say that because we're going to take a break today. We're not going to do God of the Underdogs today. We're going to take a one week break from that. And there's a reason we're going to take a break from that. And that is because I want to share a little bit more about who we are. And uh, this is a one on one week and It's a good opportunity. We're just kind of getting to know each other, pastor, congregation, after this launch. And uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to talk to you about that. And I wanted to do it especially around two holidays that the Christian church is celebrating. Now, the holiday that we're all familiar with that we just celebrated this week was Halloween, right? Uh, We had Halloween. But Halloween actually comes from All Hallows' Eve, which is the eve of... A holiday called All Saints Day. All Saints Day was on November the first. All Saints Day is one of the holidays that I'm using as an excuse to talk about what I want to talk about you today, with you today. And the other holiday happens on the last Sunday of last month, the last Sunday of October, and it's called Reformation Sunday, and it's a it's it's a Sunday where we celebrate uh, what happened with Martin Luther and all of that. So. Some of you hear that thing. think, oh no, he's going to preach an anti-Catholic sermon today. No, it's not an anti-Catholic sermon uh, today. Just stay tuned and you're going to understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about, uh, in, in the spirit of the Reformation, a word that came out of the Reformation. And my sermon is two words, the, the title is two words, semper reformanda or always reforming always reforming. This has to do with the fact that the church should always be re-examining itself, re-examining what we believe, why we believe what we believe, and, and and is what we're doing because it's in the Bible, or is it because we've layered on all kinds of traditions and so and so this message today is always reforming and I'm going to use this as a as a way of explaining who I think that we are as life church. And if you've got your Bibles this morning I want you to turn to the book of Romans, uh, and this is the the, the scripture that sort of sparked the Reformation uh, in the 1500s. Uh, Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading verse 14, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I mentioned this guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a, well, was a regular guy, and he was walking across a field one day in lightning. Came so close to him. You ever had an experience that was so close? You had a near-death experience. that He said, "God, if you get me out of this thing, I'll do anything for you." Luther had one of those experiences, and he and he said, he said, uh, Saint Anne. He, he just prayed to Saint Anne. He said, Saint Anne, I'll become a priest. You know, uh, when that when that happened. So and so he did. He he became a priest. And Martin Luther became a priest, and he was he was. Uh, but but what one thing that happened to Martin Luther is he he never felt like he could measure up. That no, no matter what good works he did, no matter what he did, he felt like he could never measure up and, and he could never be pleasing enough to God. And during the times that Martin Luther lived in, um, as happens in all churches at all times, there had been some things that had sort of crept into the church. Uh, and so there were some things that were bothering of Martin Luther, for one, they were building St. Peter's Basilica, and they were building it on the backs of the poor people, whereas the church had plenty of money to build the building, but instead they were promising these things called indulgences to people that if they would if they would pay money to the church, that uh, God would would uh, uh, release uh, some of their loved ones or even themselves out of purgatory, and so there was a there was a in fact there was one priest that really. Uh, kind of bothered Luther, uh, who who used who used this phrase that, that that went into the coffers. A coin rings out of purgatory. A soul springs. You know, every time a coin rings in the coffers, a soul out of purgatory springs. So Martin Luther became became frustrated by that, and 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 as he in his understanding of the scriptures, and he's, he read the scriptures, he came to understand that it's not by doing good works, it's not by anything that we can do by human effort that makes us pleasing to God, but we are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that we do, it's what God did for us. How many know that salvation is nothing that we can do to earn for ourselves? There's no good works that we can't buy our way in. We can't we, we can't uh, remove the punishment of sin uh, by giving so much money to the church but it's by grace that we are saved through faith. How many know that? You know that this morning? So Now, Luther didn't try to start a denomination. He didn't say, we're going to start the, the Lutheran church. No, he just wanted to bring this up to the church that, 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 that I've got an issue with the way you're doing it. So he posted something called the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door, the door of the church, to, to, to give why he was uh, concerned about uh, the sale of indulgences. And so, but because of what he... He was uh, excommunicated from the church, and it really gave rise to the Lutheran movement, okay? And so Luther gave us, and if you're taking notes, uh, if you've got a thing in your bulletin, Luther gave us the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. Another thing that Luther said is that, that no one should have to go through a priest in order to get to God, that all of us have equal access to God, and so he talked about something called the priesthood of all believers now turn to your neighbor and uh, you can say uh did you know that you were a priest turn to your neighbor just tell them that they're a priest did you know that yeah (coughs) the new testament says that we are all priests now that doesn't mean that we all wear robes all that that kind of stuff it just means that and, and we teach this at life church that every member every member is a minister and not, every, not only is every member of minister, all of us have equal access to God. I don't have to go through Pastor Phil. I don't have to go through Mel. I don't have to go through Tom, you know, to get to God. I can go through. I can go to God by him myself. And another thing that Luther gave us was the supremacy of the Bible over tradition. And so uh, the Latin word was sola scriptura, the, the scripture alone. The Bible alone is sufficient. And so... He said that the Bible alone was sufficient. So, so he began to teach us grace. So, in the spirit of Luther this morning, I just wanted to say, if you're trying to figure out who Life Church is and maybe who I am, I'm I'm a little bit Lutheran, okay? Kind of in the spirit of Donny Osmond. Remember, I'm a little bit country and I'm a little bit rock and roll. All right, so th- I'm a little bit Lutheran. All right, so this represents the free gift of salvation that God that brought to us, uh, salvation by grace through faith. Now. Having said that, letting people know that you don't have to do anything in order to earn your salvation is a wonderful thing, but it can also be a it can also bring disastrous effects if you don't if you don't stay more than that. And here's what I mean by that. I had a professor one time that said this particular denomination was so into grace that they couldn't get anyone to come to church because they all felt like God's done it all for us, there's nothing we gotta do. I'm sleeping in today. God's got it covered, right? And and, and that, and it can be true that that, that sort of that overemphasis on grace—that hey, man, if God did it all. You know, I received Him as my Savior, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna rest now on that. Well, you're not the only one that, that noticed that, that the, the problem with that. In fact, the church deteriorated after the, the the Reformation so much that you really couldn't tell the church from the world. The the church looked identical to the world. You could not, you couldn't tell. A Christian from a, from a non-Christian. And and there was another movement called the Pietist that, that said, wait a minute, wait a minute, it does matter how we live. It, 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 it does matter how we live. A lot of the New Testament has to do with living a holy life. Well, another part of the Reformation that came about was the Anglican. That's a whole other story, how the Anglican Church came to be, Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce the catholic church wouldn't let him do it so he said okay we'll start our own church so they uh, formed the anglican church and and the church of england and that's got a lot of american history to it because remember that that america was founded by people who did not want to uh have to be part of the church of england they wanted to worship god in the way that they saw fit well there was a, a a man in england he was an anglican priest And he himself was not satisfied with this understanding of grace that you couldn't tell the world from the church and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, his name was John Wesley. And John Wesley observed these Christians who were very devoted to God, and he wanted, I want what you got, he said. And they were a group called the Moravians. He went to hear the Moravians speak one time. And while he was listening to the Moravians speak, he said that my heart, was strangely warmed while i was listening uh, to to the moravian speak he said my heart was strangely ro- warmed and i believed that god saved me at that time so so he comes along and says that salvation it's not just a free pass but it's a it's a personal encounter with jesus that salvation is personal salvation is more than just more than just a free but something actually happens like the apostle paul said old things are passed away and all things are become new and furthermore he believed that it did matter how we lived our lives and so he had some buddies they went to oxford together and they kept themselves accountable about how they were living their lives you know because all of the, the, the you know uh, their friends were going out and getting drunk they were doing all of this kind of stuff and they said you know what we're different we shouldn't we shouldn't live that way so they kept themselves accountable and people teased them and called them the Holy club the Holy club and so um, uh, what what he what what the Methodists taught us and, and they, they became known as the Methodists they taught us that salvation is personal is a personal encounter with God and they taught us that grace is a double cure listen to me this morning grace is a double cure. There's a great old Methodist hymn called Rock of Ages. How many know it? Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Clear for me. Know it? Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Now get this. This is significant. Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. And so John Wesley comes along and says that 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 grace doesn't just give us a get out of hell free pass. It, it's not just a it's not just God overlooking our sins but that the grace of God is also the power of God to help us to overcome sin. Amen. God must agree with that. He's calling in right now. But uh, (laughs) so that there's, there's a double cure, that grace is not just... How many are following me this morning? Grace is more than just a free pass, but that grace gives us the power to overcome sin. So when you came to Life Church this morning, you came to a church that believes it's not just a matter of I receive Jesus Christ as my personal savior and we and we come just as we are and we leave just as we were. Okay? We believe that when when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, he really does something on the inside. Now, I was raised by my father was Methodist. My father was a a Wesleyan Methodist, a, a holiness, and the old-time Methodist really taught and believed in holiness. So grace is a double cure; it saves from wrath and makes us pure. And so, not only am I a, a little bit, I'm, I'm also a little bit Methodist, you know. And the Methodist believed, and if you've ever seen the cross and the fire, there's a flame. With the cross. And so, uh, if I can get this here today, here we go. So, we're a little bit Lutheran and uh, we're a little bit Methodist around here, all right? Because we believe that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, I told you my dad was a Methodist, but my mother, she was Pentecostal. And my mother and my dad, they met in. they met in 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 high school the pentecostal movement was started by a bunch of methodists these methodists who believed in the power of god they believed that salvation was a personal encounter with god they believed in holiness but as some of these methodists were studying the scriptures they said now when we read the new testament we find that there's things that happen in the new testament that aren't happening today and that was specifically the gifts of the spirit And so they said, why is it that, you know, people got healed in the book of Acts and we never really see that happen today? Or why is it that the gifts of discernment, why is it the gift of prophecy uh, was was alive there, but it's not not alive today? And so they started seeking the Holy Spirit and specifically the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was an African-American preacher by the name of William Seymour The times were so segregated that when he went to Bible school, he had to sit out in the hall to take his classes, and he would listen in to what the professor was saying on the inside. But he became so... And he was a very humble man, a very quiet man. uh, But he became so consumed about this. Why is it that, 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 that that, that the gifts of the Spirit are not being manifest today? And so... He began holding a prayer meeting in the city of Los Angeles on a porch. Uh, there, there were some white people actually, and, and so there was kind of radical for the times. So an African American pastor preaching on this. and and the porch got so full of people that the porch broke in. The porch fell down, and uh, so they had to move into this converted barn on Azusa Street. How many have ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? You, you should have heard of the Azusa Street Revival because one-fourth of every church that's in existence today can trace its roots back to the Azusa Street Revival. What happened in this revival, one historian said that, that black people were laying hands on white people. The Holy Spirit was falling in those meetings, and, and the historian said the color line was, was washed away in the blood. Hallelujah. And by the way, I think that that is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. Because in the book of Joel, when he said, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, he said, your young men, your old men, your servants, even on your handmaidens will I pour out my Spirit. I'm going to break down racial lines and social lines and and lines of classes with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's good preaching. Amen. Woo! my dad met my mother the pentecostal and the pentecostal one and my dad became pentecostal and uh, so i grew up i grew up pentecostal what did pentecost give us pentecost gave us this that the holy spirit still guides the church the holy spirit still guides the church okay who who leads you know we talk about churches that are board-driven churches or pastor-led churches I just wanted to explain to you what we honestly believe about Life Church today. I hope this doesn't freak you. We believe that the Holy Spirit and Jesus really does lead this church, and we really seek His leadership and His guidance. We believe that God still guides the church today, and we believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are still active in the church today. The Pentecostals ask the great question. If the gifts of the Spirit stopped, when did they stop and why did they stop? The only scripture that indicates anything about stopping is in 1 Corinthians where it says that uh, knowledge will cease and tongues will pass away. But it says that when that which is perfect has come, that those things are going to pass away. Obviously meaning that when we get to heaven, there's going to be no need for all of those gifts of the Spirit because we're all there with God all the time. And so the gifts of the Spirit are still alive and they're being manifest today. And so, because you know we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, um, we you know we here's the Holy Spirit, and then there's gifts within the gift, you know. And so, and so we believe that at Life Church. And so we're a little bit Lutheran, we're a little bit Methodist, and we're also a little bit Pentecostal. All right. Could I hear a Pentecostal witness this morning? Amen! All right, yeah. All right, yeah. So we're a little bit that. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, and, and this is, I think your notes here. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is evangelism. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you'll receive power after the, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria uttermost. So, so the church has always been reforming. It's a semper reformata. Always reforming. And so what happened is out of this little church in, in Azusa Street, they, they filled up this, this place and news spread about this revival in the early part of the 1900s And um, missionaries would raise money to go uh, to other parts of the world. They didn't have enough money to get home. And so they would just go to South America. They would go to Russia. They would go all over the world and spend their entire life there talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. They called them missionaries of the one-way ticket. Today, South America is on fire with the Holy Spirit today. Africa is on fire with the Holy Spirit today. Um, The music that we sing in almost every church... Uh, today has been influenced by the Holy Spirit and, and Spirit filled music. And so it's been huge. And so we also, I just want to say, when you come to Life Church, you need to know that we have a vision that this is going to be multiracial, that women have their place with the Holy Spirit, that God makes all people together. Now, that's, that's true whether we like it or not, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. He breaks down the barriers between us. Amen. Amen. No longer second-class citizens, but the Holy Spirit uh, makes us a little bit Pentecostal. But, but you know, you can overemphasize any of these. You can overemphasize this, and you can forget holiness. You can overemphasize holiness, and you can forget the Holy Spirit. You can overemphasize the Holy Spirit, and you can lose your brains. I mean, you can lose. You, you know what I'm saying? There, 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 there's there's abuses in every one of these, and so I just want to say at Life Church we're we're not trying to be one. We're we're all of the above, all right? Okay, and then th- there's another movement that happened called the Restoration Movement. And in fact, if you heard of Johnson University that's uh, close by, they're part of the... Yeah, we got... Susan's excited. She's a graduate back there of Johnson University. This is the Christian church, music and, uh, uh, church movement. And we really gained something from them as well. And we gain from them... Uh, this this simple, this is what I take away from the from the Restoration Movement. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Hear that? We're not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. The Christian Church, the, the Restoration Movement said, wait a minute, why are we calling ourselves Protestants? Sounds like we've We've got a chip on our shoulder. We're protesting against who? We're protesting against nobody. We believe that it should just be enough to call ourselves Christians. You know what I'm saying? To just just be able to say, we, we believe. And that's what the first the first believers in Jesus. They just called them Christians. But but they said that they were going to unite around the, the, the weekly communion. And so I, I brought communion out here because communion has become... Uh, more important to us at Life Church, and so we're a little bit, we're a little bit Lutheran, we're a little bit Methodist, we're a little bit Pentecostal, and we're a little bit Christian. And they they really became sort of the the, the, the leaders and innovators in the whole non-denominational movement. So we say that we're non-denominational. What does that mean? That means that that, that we think it's just enough to say that we're Christians. Why, why do we have to qualify that in some kind of way? All right so we've been influenced by the christian church but now I'm going to come down to the to the last one that, I, that that we've been influenced by and that I've personally been influenced by and that is the catholic church now when we think about the protestant reformation happening in 1511 that means of the over 2000 years since jesus died protestants have only been around for 1 quarter of that right so so up until that time there was just one church and, and one of the things that I get from the catholic church by the way, Catholic, a lot of people don't realize it simply means universal it means that there's only one church that, 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 that there's only one church when I was um when I was uh, in Illinois and I had moved there I became really good friends with the local Catholic nun and her name was uh, um, Sister Georgiana and Sister Georgiana was up in age and, and within my first year of being in Illinois. She died. And uh, when she died, it was a sad deal, but uh, they had to bring in another nun to replace her, and they brought another nun in by Sister Mary Bede, and Sister Mary Bede was was actually Sister Georgiana's biological sister. In fact, they had five biological sisters, and all of them were nuns. And Sister Mary Bede uh, became my very, very good friend in... um, in Southern Illinois, uh, so much so that we prayed together every Monday. She, you know, was, was not scandalous. She's 35 years my senior. She is a nun, all right. So, uh, uh, but but we 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 had a prayer meeting every Monday uh, where I would uh, uh, go to Sister Mary. Beats. Now she she had been in our city many many years before that, and had she was just huge in our city. She had been the director of the hospital. It was St. Joseph's Hospital, which was a Catholic hospital. And she went around to all the Protestant pastors and made friends with them and broke down the denominational walls in our city. And she had such a huge impact in our city that there was a famous wall downtown where they would put famous people's faces. And like we had General John A. Logan. General John A. Logan was the, the person who started um, Memorial Day. Uh, he, was, he, he was from our, our area He was on that wall, two or three other famous people, and then we had one living person who was still on that wall, and that was Sister Mary Bede. She was that big a deal in our city. Well, her and I became great friends. We met with other pastors, and and you know how it is. The average term of a pastor is three or four years, but I, I don't quit. I just stay, and so I just stayed in the city, and so all these other pastors ended up leaving. Finally, it was just down to Sister Mary Bede and I, And so Sister Mary Bede and I prayed every Monday um, for for about a 10-year period. And she came to every special event that our church had. You know, when we did an Easter play, she would come to our Easter play. She came to anything special we were doing. And I would come to special events. By the way, I grew up Pentecostal in a very Catholic town. And on Christmas Eve, I would sneak off to the local Catholic church, and I would go to Midnight Mass because I just thought that was cool. I just thought just going to church at midnight was cool, for one. And their church was just so different from ours. And, and, you know, and I'm just going to be honest. I had this prejudicial feeling that this, you know, the, the priest was going to be boring and all that. I still remember his sermon. He preached from a rough-hewn manger to a rough-hewn cross. And he preached the gospel that day that, when I was a kid and I heard that message. But Sister Mary Bede and I became, became very, very close friends. She asked me one day if I would be her pastor. She's like a 75-year-old nun. Significant person in our community. I'm thinking, Me be your pastor. What do you mean by that? And she said, "You know what? I just need advice." I'm thinking, "I need your advice," you know. But we just had that kind of relationship uh, with Sister Mary B. Finally, her her health got uh, got poor, and she had a heart attack, and she got bad enough that. And by the way, I went to her 60th anniversary of her ordination. I went there to the to the to the convent where. She she was ordained, and I got to go to her 60th. We were just best friends. And uh, then her health got so poor that she had to move out of our city and back to the convent, which was probably 45 minutes away. And so I didn't get to see her as much. But there was one day I was going to Branson, and, and this place was on our way, and I said to Melanie, I said, I want to stop and see Bede. We called her Bede. Uh, and so I stopped to see Bede, and I went up to her room, and she she was not in good health. And uh, so I talked to Bede, and she would often kiss me on the cheek just before we were leaving. And so it was time for me to leave, and I I offered my cheek, and she pulled my cheek the other way, and she kissed me right on the lips. Right on the lips, man. I have been kissed on the lips by a nun. So it was awesome. But anyway, (laughs) so we, we, we went on to Branson. Everyone's looking. went on to Branson and I got a call later that night I said Phil I know you're close to being born she died she died my non-denominational church we held the city wide memorial service for sister Mary Bean. the whole city came out and everybody in the city knew that so much so that when I left Illinois, she, she died and there's a big memorial to her at the hospital. When I died, they put a plaque of me right over my sister Mary Bede when I left Illinois uh, just because everyone knew that we were that great of friends. And, and, sh- and she had a personal relationship with Jesus and taught me that and I'm a little bit Methodist and I'm a little bit Pentecostal and I'm a little bit restoration movement and I'm a little bit uh, Catholic. And one thing that the Catholics taught me and you are taking notes is that faith without works is dead. Nobody has done good works like the Catholic Church throughout the world. When you go to the most remote parts of the world you'll see Catholic hospitals, you'll see Catholic schools. Catholics really get the fact that it's more than just inviting people to receive a personal relationship with Jesus, but if their bellies aren't full, they can't hear the gospel. And uh, and, 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 if, and if they don't have good drinking water, and if they don't have uh, good medicine, they can't hear the gospel. And so, the Catholics taught me that faith without works is dead. And then the final thing that I want to share with you this morning on this Reformation Sunday, this All Saints Day, you went... Uh, a real mutt church this morning. We're a mutt, okay? We're just a bunch of things together, all right? And you know what? I'm just finding more and more mutts all over the place, all right? People that, people that are tired of just saying I'm this, or I'm that, or I, I I stick my claim, I'm Luther, and I'm Methodist, I'm kind of cross, I'm, I, it's just an, I'm Christian, I love Jesus. I believe all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe we're saved by grace through faith. I do believe it matters how you live I believe that faith without works is dead, and so at Life Church, you're going to see us not just inviting people to Jesus, but you're going to see us getting involved in the community and helping to oppress, uh, helping to help oppress people where we can, and uh, that, that's our vision for for Life Church. And another thing, and the last thing that the Catholics taught me is they taught me something called the communion of the saints. I don't know how we miss this in the scripture. The Catholics, there, there's something in there's something in the Apostles' Creed but it's it's not just in the Apostles' Creed, it's in the New Testament. It says we believe in the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints is a wonderful concept because it's the understanding that those who have died in Christ are still a part of us. The Bible indicates in Hebrews that we are surrounded by a great, You know, we had a wonderful pastor here that preceded me by the name of morris bagwell he, he, he died of mesothelioma long debilitating disease you know what it's not just bye-bye it, it's somehow the catholics taught me that in the spirit that they're still with us in fact hebrews says that when we come together that when we come together that we are surrounded by thousands of that Jesus is in the midst of us. Did you know that when we came to church this morning? That Jesus is actually here. Thousands of angels are with us. And then it says the spirits of those made perfect. Those who have gone on before. How many of you have loved ones that you just can't wait to see someday, that you know they've already gone to be with the Lord? Can I just tell you this morning? As we Our memorial service there, but then they had the actual Roman Catholic funeral at her retreat center, and they walked her out to her cemetery. They invited me to sit with the Catholic priests. Here's this non-denominational guy sitting with the Catholic. I don't know when to stand. I don't know when to kneel. I don't know when to do all this stuff. I can't even take communion because I'm not Catholic. But when we walked her out, out to the cemetery with all these priests. They're all robed up, and I walked out there, and they have this thing that looks like a baton, and they have holy water, and 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 her casket was out there, and these priests would take the baton and they would stick it in the holy water, and they would go Domino's pizza, and pepperoni, they, they were they were they were they were doing these Latin things, you know. And I was watching, I thought it was all cool, you know, and I was watching. And then suddenly this priest takes the baton and he hands it to me. <laughs> what? I just acted like I knew what I was doing. I took that thing and I did it in the water. They were saying, you know, we may we may not see everything eye to eye but Maybe you don't doctrinally fit in with, 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 with who we are in the Roman Catholic Church, but you're one of us, take the baton, fling the holy water. That's where you are today. You're, in, you're, in, you're, you're at life, church. This morning. We're a little bit country and we're a little bit rock and roll, all right? <laughs> we're a little Lutheran.